Welcome to Kino Society with Owen Shapiro. Welcome to Kino Society. In today's episode, we have Ryan Liebert, a film editor that brings a dynamic and efficient approach to the edit with specific focus on emotion, pacing, and audience engagement. Welcome to Kino Society, Ryan. Hey, Owen. Thanks for having me. Would you mind telling us a bit about your background and what attracted you to editing above all other industry jobs? Yeah, sure. So uh, about 12 years ago, when I was finishing up college, I kind of uh, was looking for what to do. And I used to be really into skateboarding and snowboarding and making skateboarding and snowboarding films. And I started editing those for fun. And while I was in college, I took a intro to digital film class that taught us Final Cut Pro. And, you know, I just really took to it and liked it a lot. And, you know, got a lot of satisfaction out of that first video that I was able to create from nothing and uh, present and get good feedback on. So I kind of quickly made a decision when I was a junior in college that uh, that's what I was going to do. So uh, in between my junior and senior year of college, I went to Los Angeles. I'm from Vermont, so I'm from a really small state. And uh, so I went to California where there's a lot more opportunities and a lot more people to learn from uh, eager to start a career uh, editing movies. Now, it was not an overnight thing by any means. Uh, you know, I had to really earn everything I've got and build it through relationships with other filmmakers who also kind of migrated to LA from the East Coast. So, you know, back in 2011, some friends and I basically self-funded our first feature film to where we were all doing, you know, he was the director, we had a writer and, you know, we were all basically funding our own films so that we could do the jobs that we wanted to do. And through that process, really learned a how hard it is to uh tell a engaging story for 90 minutes but b that like i really liked it and it was just this insane challenge that um you know had a lot of ups and downs and you know it just it just fed us that we wanted more and to make more movies so about two years later we made another movie with about double the budget better camera better actors bigger script and again that was another huge learning curve where um we did a lot right we did a lot wrong um so then after that you know a couple years of that you know meanwhile i'm working a day job just trying to make rent in california editing a movie at night you know those are huge stepping stones as far as me being able to understand that like i i know how to manage a project of that size i know how to tell a story over that long building relationships with directors and all that and through that i started networking with a lot of people cinematographers producers and all this and and as we grew in in the industry we would help each other out with jobs and that kind of led me all the way through three or four more films uh, throughout like 2014, 15, and 16. And then, um, and also a lot of short films too. A lot of people make short films because that they have limited budget and they have an idea, but they can't get funding for a full feature. So, you know, I've done about 15 or 20 short films over the years too, um, all in the effort to build relationships with directors. And, you know, those have paid off through smaller jobs, not necessarily film work, but, you know, eventually have led to second and third films. And then most recently, I kind of used all of those connections and all those resources to get myself on Willy's Wonderland, which was my biggest film to date. Uh, you know, it had a five and a half million dollar budget. It had Nick Cage in it. It was shooting in Atlanta. Um, so I had I, I finally felt like I pushed into that next tier of low budget, it's still low budget filmmaking. But it was a, it was a step that was necessary. And but it took it took eight to 10 years for that to really be an option for me. So um, a lot of hard work, a lot of uh, drive, passion, late nights 
and, uh, and, and willing to work for free or for cheap, just because I knew that I was putting it towards the next project. And, you know, even today, I'm still not where I want to be, obviously, but I'm, I'm making head ground with every film that I do. So, you know, with the release of Willie's, it, it actually opened up another project for me. So I'm starting next week, I'm starting another film still on the low budget side, but it's still it's it's more work in the film industry. It's more time telling stories and movies. And then, you know, eventually, you know, the directors that I've invested time and in, with are going to transcend to the next level. And then I hope they take me along with me because I know as an editor, I can't really I can't really break through until I have a director that breaks through. You know, I always like to reference uh, one of my favorite movies is Whiplash and, you know, Tom Cross, you know, he was he was in a very similar position. He was a little, little different than me, but, you know, he, he paired himself with a director that he saw had a lot of potential and cut a short film for him. That short film got them funding to do the feature. And then a year after the feature, he's winning an Oscar. And now he's, you know, doing James Bond. So there's, there's clearly like, you need, you need, can't do it alone. You need to be partnered with people who are really talented and are ready to break through the next level. And so that's kind of been my focus and my goal for the last decade. So I'm not sure how much higher you can go after you've made the greatest movie of all time. Oh, <laughs> oh wait, are you talking about Willie's or are you talking about Whiplash? Yeah, Willie's Wonderland. Well, I appreciate that. That movie was really, really fun. And that was one of the biggest efforts that I tried to put into it and was was it's fun it's not taking itself too seriously and because of that and because of nick cage obviously it just had it, it was it, it felt like it couldn't fail and you know so many things happened you know we shot that movie in february of last year we wrapped on you know i flew back from atlanta to la on march 1st and you know i started working at my office for about two weeks and then a year ago yesterday or a year ago today actually was when we all started working from home and had had the whole quarantine lockdown happened while we were in Atlanta making that movie there's no way we would have uh recovered and finished that film it would have just kind of died right there because it was so tightly made we had such a small window of time but thankfully like you know we got it done I got back to LA and you know for the first three months of quarantine I was happy as could be I had a movie to work on and you know I didn't get a chance to work with my directors and producers in the room together which is always preferred but we were able to um remote finish uh this feature film and I made the most of my time in Atlanta while they were shooting. I have a little bit different workflow than a lot of other editors. I don't have an assistant editor. I don't have an intern. I do it all myself. So every day uh, I would get the previous day's footage. I was staying at a house where I had set up like a edit bay for myself and I would prep that day's dailies, I would, and then I'd start building my assembly. So by the time we wrapped picture, I had already had 35 to 40 minutes of the movie assembled and I was screening it for producers, screening it for directors. We were all very happy with what we were getting so much so that we were able to attract some additional funding during production because people were seeing the story come together. And then, so by the time I got back to LA, I had about two to three weeks to finish my editor's assembly, which is me just working alone, building the movie based on the footage I have and the script that I've been given. And then I brought in our director Kevin Lewis and we, I, I showed him the film you know he was really happy with the general tone of it and he and I worked together for about three to four weeks to get his cut and then we spent another three to four weeks uh, dialing in the producer's cut before we handed it off for effects and sound and music and all that but the movie really made itself in the way that the premise was so perfect in a way that like you know you just had to really make the most of the of the footage that you had and I and I really put a lot of effort into pacing and fun 
you know, I wanted people dancing along with Nick while he's cleaning. I wanted them, you know, cheering for him when he's stomping, you know, them, the creatures to death and, you know, and, and, and feeling like the hero emerged at the end. And so I, I've been so happy to see that the, the feedback has been positive, that people kind of get it. It's one of those movies that in quarantine, everybody kind of needs right now just to feel good and laugh and have and watch something that doesn't require a whole lot of thought, just, just some fun watching. Yeah, I actually caught it a while back in a um, Discord stream uh, with a few friends and all of them loved it. Everyone absolutely loved it. It's one of those movies that if if one person took it too seriously, it might have fallen apart. So totally. And I think there was a serious awareness when we were making it. And, you know, everybody's all filmmakers that were on board were dead serious, you know, you know, and, and like, we were very serious about the quality of it. But you know, when you're when you're when it was it was a real, uh, I had a real moment, I went, I went and visited set one day, and I'm just looking at all of these adults playing with expensive toys and making just for the sake of making entertainment. And like, you, it's hard to not like get giddy and not take that too seriously. You know, I've worked on movies that have had very serious tones and they're much harder to um, be great because, you know, they're held to that standard of seriousness. And if you're not, you know, an Oscar worthy film, you end up, it's easy to poke holes in it as to why it's not a great movie. But with a movie like Willie's, you know, you just need it to be fast, fun and high energy and people will love it. And obviously Nick just, he just delivered. Uh, it's, it was so fun to be able to cut his performance because, you know, I've always loved actors that give a very minimal performance. You know, one of my favorite movies is Drive. Uh, uh, as a lot of people that love films love that movie because of how minimal Gosling's character is and like he doesn't say much but you get all the emotion and the power of the film just through his looks and his timing and Nick really brought that to this movie and you can you can convey all these different things without saying anything and so that's that do do more with less kind of thing and then when it came time to like for the fight scenes then they got very frenetic and crazy and packed with sounds and grunts and all this but there was a lot of room for silence and space too which I thought really helped it also to help with the tension in times too so yeah it was a fun experience yeah nick cage was absolutely perfect for that movie i can't really imagine any other actor doing that as far as i know they only went to one actor when they were when they were uh sending it out and they wanted nick and nick agreed to it over a, a weekend reading of the script and once he agreed they never looked at anybody else so it'd be hard to imagine you could put other people in that role but where it would be potentially iconic is, is nick and you know so he's made a lot of movies that i've loved over the years so to and that was my first experience working with him so to have have uh, the non-speaking nick cage role be my kind of uh contribution to his legacy i'm pretty stoked on that i think nick cage accepts almost all of the movies he's uh given though you know i've heard that said too uh i think he's evolved i think there was definitely a period 15 20 years ago uh where he was just accepting anything but i think he started to search out because he's a strange guy right so i think he's looking for strange unique roles and you know i saw some stuff in the dailies where nick would you know he would speak when when he wasn't in character for the moment but he he made a comment that he was like this was just just like being eight-year-old Nick with a video camera in his backyard making home movies. Like it brought him back to that like childlike thing. So I really, I don't think he's just picking movies for the money or because he's Nick Cage and he just needs to be working all the time. I think he's picking movies like Willie's or Mandy uh, because they're they're unique and they give him a unique opportunity to, to push his kind of envelope of what he does. And, you know, people expect Nick to be Nick. And, you know, I, I think while he can still do it, he's got to keep pushing it. So, you know, I think Willie's was just another notch in that belt of, of, of being 
Nick being unique. I think he does work a lot, but he also has some good taste. So I think he's, I think it's gotten a lot better in the last five years as far as the movies he's done. Yeah, Mandy was really good as well. That one was a lot of fun. Yeah, we use that a lot as a reference for certain things. When we were when we were putting together the package to get Willie's made, we used a lot of footage. For, so actually kind of how I got on the film was one of my best friends is Dave Newbert, the cinematographer, and he had paired with Kevin Lewis, the director, through a mutual connection of theirs. And Kevin was in need of an editor to put together kind of a sizzle of what Willie's Wonderland should be. At that time, it was called Wally's Wonderland, but what Willie's Wonderland should be. So he came over to my office with about 30 DVDs, which I couldn't even use because you can't even really use DVDs right now, of Nick Cage movies and a bunch of other horror films that he thought were inspirational. He wanted to cut together like a 90-second kind of fake trailer for what Willie's Wonderland would be. So I sourced a lot of footage from Mandy, a lot of footage from other Nick Cage movies and other horror films, and I made this fake trailer of Willie's Wonderland that they took to AFM last Last, uh, November and then basically immediately sold the uh, foreign distribution rights to it and that's what really kind of got the ball rolling so through that little project I bonded with the director and then he wanted to work with me on the film so two months later he brought me on to do the full edit but you know we really we really had a good sense of what we were trying to do well before we made it and then Kevin really storyboarded the heck out of the movie and because we only had 20 days to shoot it Nick would only work 10 hour days and he was only maybe working four days a week so like we really had to they really had to maximize every shooting day on set, uh, especially considering all the action scenes and fight scenes we had and, and puppets, you know, they, they were not foolproof. Those things caused a lot of technical issues that we had to work around, but we were able to pull off a lot of the movie practically, which I was a huge fan of. You know, there was definitely some effects enhancing of some of the creatures and how they move and how they sound, but all in all, it was done pretty practically. And, you know, when I look back at my original editor's assembly from last May, it's really close to what the final product ended up being. So I'm super proud of that. So another thing is that there's, I believe, an upcoming Five Nights at Freddy's movie coming out sometime in the future. Yeah, uh, Blum, I think Blumhouse is behind it. Oh, really? That's going to be... I believe so. I believe so. I am, it's hard to imagine a premise as silly as that getting... And they're probably going to take a very serious approach to it as well. So I believe so. You know, there was a lot of... When 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 the hype was building for Willie's, everybody was saying it was a knockoff of Five Nights. And, you know, we we were well aware of that when we made it, um, that Five Nights existed and that, you know, it's the premise and the idea was similar. But what we have, and I like to think our movie is more about the janitor and less about Willy's Wonderland. And if there were ever an expansion of uh, a sequel or a prequel, it would revolve around the janitor. So it's not necessarily about animatronics, about this mystery character, the janitor. So, you know, and I think Five Nights at Freddy's doesn't really have that. So, you know, I, I get the comparison. It's, it's, uh, and, you know, it is it is real but it's also you know in this industry it's kind of who gets there first and I know they had a lot of development problems with that movie because they're trying to make it like a hundred million dollar PG-13 movie and when you do something that big there's a lot of ways that it can get sidetracked and I think because Willie's was so focused on being what it was and we had Nick it all came together really fast and you know and then with the way it all went together in post like it, it delayed you know the co the pandemic delayed the production of, of Five Nights at Freddy's even more so so it's like, you know, I, I I did at one point have concerns like, were we going to get sued and lose the movie because it was too close? But, you know, obviously, once we went go ahead with it, I'm sure they had legal counsel saying, no, you should be fine. But, you know, as far as I know, there was no issue. But yeah, it is similar premise, but way different movie. Tried reading a little bit about the games. I haven't played any of them. And the... Uh supposedly there is some ridiculous lore in them. Like there's this entire universe of things or it's really, really 
really complex and convoluted story. I think I think one of the weird places where we were a little bit guilty of being too similar was in some of the backstory stuff. But you know, and and I believe you know, Five Nights at Freddy's is much more of a jump scare, pop out, you know, hide in the dark kind of movie. Where this movie, or Willie's, had a real op, it, it had a really uh, different tone to it in the sense that we were creating these scary moments, but at the moment when the, the creature is supposed to attack and you're supposed to be most scared is when the janitor was the most calm and he would just flip the switch and dismantle the situation in a way that was comedic and not scary you know so you, you built you had this like build up of tension then a payoff of like oh wow okay you know it's a it, it was a different outcome than especially in the very first fight when he's fighting ozzy because nobody knows and that was the first fight scene we shot and the first fight scene that i cut and from the moment he you know gets nicked on the face and then breaks the broom over his knee you know it's game over for these creatures they have no chance but yet they keep trying and you know and then you know so it, it's again the biggest thing that we had in our favor was the janitor and and you know i i I want to know more about the janitor. I've talked with Kevin about some ideas that I have. I mean, not that I'm a writer, but like where 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 else could the janitor go? Where what about his origin story? You know, he's got this kind of superhero quality to him where you know nothing about him. And that was deliberate, you know. We wanted him to be very much uh, a mystery and uh wanting uh, you know, leaving people wanting to know more about him. You know, because originally he was supposed to say one line at the end of the film, and it was scripted and it was it was there uh, you know, but it was Nick's idea to not say anything he stuck to it he said if the jan the janitor only speaks when he's when he needs to and he doesn't need to and you know when nick says something like that everybody listens yeah that could have been a very powerful emotional moment for the audience i can imagine it could have been but the line would have had to been just one of those perfect lines and i think that they tried uh writing a few lines for him to say but you know i i feel like i feel like silence is powerful and, and anything might have come off as cheesy and to and again like maybe it would have been too serious and it would have just kind of wrinkled the audience in the wrong moment of the film instead of just leaving it, you know, silent and up to the audience's interpretation. I'm always a big fan of, of letting the audience uh, interpret it for themselves. Um, it's so funny when people come back with fan theories about uh, what this meant, what that meant. And, uh, you know, oftentimes those things meant nothing, but people add meaning to them because they see things in it that others didn't see. And that's what's so great about movies. So about some of your other movies, what are those like? So the, uh, the first first two films I did um, were with the same director, Rob Hamilton. One was called Key and the other was called The Suffering. Um, very much slow paced horror thrillers dealt with uh, big themes. Uh, they were the films I talked about earlier where we learned a lot about the process of movie making and biting off more than we can chew. And so, you know, we learned a lot from there. And then a couple years later, I did a movie called Boomtown, which was totally different than everything else. This was a movie that had no real script. It had like a 30 page treatment where we had a character who was basically going to go to Williston, North Dakota to work in the oil fields. And, you know, we had developed some contacts. And I say we because this was a small, we had seven people on this crew. There was director, producer, cinematographer, camera assistant, and like a production coordinator and uh, one other camera operator. And we all went up together and made this movie together. So, you know, it was very much a team effort, even though like I was the editor, this, that, and the other thing. We all did so much up there. We, we wore different hats because it was, this was a true indie film. And we 
went up and made this kind of docu-style film where we used real people that lived in Wilson, North Dakota. We used real oil, oil workers. And then we brought in some actors to, uh, you know, help with the storytelling. But what made that movie so unique was because we didn't have a script, a lot of the movie was made in the edit. And particularly time passage. You know, our character was supposed to be up on working in this oil rig for six months when we were only there for three weeks shooting. But so we had to create all these little scenes and ways to, to showcase time passage. And, uh, you know, that movie was a, a struggle um, in many ways, but it came out very authentic and very real. You know, after we got back from North Dakota, we went on holiday break. And then, you know, I had done an assembly of the film, but we realized like our first act was a little thin. It needed some more. So we did some strategic reshooting in LA to help tell the opening of the film a little more impactful to set our character up. Um, and then that really helped bring that whole film together. And then I did another movie called Murder in the Woods, uh, director Louis Ega, Luis Ega. Uh, had Danny Trejo in it. It was kind of your cabin in the woods style thriller with an all uh, Latino cast. And, you know, it was it was all contained to one house. Uh, this, you know, much more traditional horror film. But to have Danny Trejo be, be, Trejo be the hero of that was really awesome. And then I did this movie called And Then There Was Eve. Again, very different tonally than anything else I've done. It dealt with a, a trans character and a uh, her wife coming to terms with the transition uh, in a very psychological, kind of twisted way. It's a really multi-layered movie that is pretty powerful. And I know it came out at a time when there wasn't really an actual trans actor playing a trans character. And I think that was one of the things that was super unique about it. One of my favorite parts about the movie is it had a lot of mu music was a huge part of it. A lot of live music. Um, I'm a drummer. I play music. Uh, and I just love whenever I can incorporate uh, practical music into a movie. I think it really is really fun and dynamic. And you can really, you know, when the score uh, is also being played on the screen by the actors you just get this really immersive that's why again why whiplash is so good because you know the, the, you're seeing the music of the film being made in front of you by the actors you know you can't fake that so you know that was really great and then yeah then it was a couple years until i got another film because you know it's just really hard to get any films going so then when willies came up that was that and uh you know now i'm starting this new movie called the last deal which will be about a uh california uh, pot grower up upstate before before pot became legal, you know, then all of a sudden the regulations of pot became legal and he started to go out of business. So he has to broker this one last deal to basically retire from the game. And of course it all goes haywire. Uh, you know, that movie is going to be very much in the tone of, 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 of heat. And, uh, you know, so it, that one's going to have a lot more action. A lot, it's got a lot of stunt guys in it. So um, all in all, the movies have ranged uh, from horror to uh, kind of a documentary film to action to, you know, so it's just it, uh, the variety has been great. That's one of my my favorite parts of it all you know we haven't been like pigeonholed into one style yeah it's always nice to work on a variety of different things because like yeah and that's truthfully it's one of my favorite things about this industry is you know there's this unknown like i i, I it's it's a tough part of it too don't get me wrong but not knowing what the next project is going to be is really exciting because you get surprised all of a sudden you know i i didn't know willie's wonderland was going to come up till a month before it came up and then you know it, it had it had a whole it affected my entire year and now this movie's going to have the same thing so it's like you just really don't know what you're going to get into. You know, it's not your traditional nine to five or you go to work and repeat the same day. Every day is different. Um, even when I'm on a project for three months,
months, every day is different because the footage is always different. And then, you know, the revisions are always different and the problems are different. So um, that's got to be one of my favorite parts of it is the fact that it's just it's never the same. So what advice would you give to an aspiring film editor? That's a good question, you know, because I'm still trying to figure it out, to be honest with you. I went a very anti-traditional route in the sense of like, I didn't go into the studio system and apprentice. I kind of went the freelance route. I built up my, my client and my, and my, my, my clients and my partners uh, through time and organically. So um, for me, what really worked is, and is this, is, is, is not just being a good editor, it's being someone people want to edit with, you know, being a passionate filmmaker and teaming up with other passionate filmmakers. That to me has been the most successful partnerships, you know, because LA is full of people who are trying to make it. And there's a few people who have made it. And when you're trying to make it into whatever position you want to be, whether it's producer, writer, director, actor, editor, you have to surround yourself with other people who are in the same position, because as I said earlier, you can't do it alone. So, you know, I've, I've tried to maintain myself as an editor exclusively, and it hasn't been easy. I've had to take side jobs and, you know, I cut, I'll be honest, I don't just cut film. I cut everything. Um, I do corporate videos. I do stuff for the medical world. I do commercials. I do music videos. You know, I do explainer videos. I do short films for little to no money. I I, I just, I love, I want to just keep editing. And then when the films come along, that's when I will shut down some other work to just do the films. So for me, it was about hustling, doing any project that you can get your hands on because you never know who that network is going to lead to. And so that's, I guess, the second thing I would say is your network network is everything. You know, I I can do the, the family tree of network and trace it back 15, 20 people to like the first person I worked with as to why I got Willie's Wonderland. You know, this this DP that I got, got me Willie's Wonderland, I work, I've been working with since 2011. And those years of building and trust are why we are able to get projects like that together. And so I would say your network is everything. You know, the people that you team up with on your first project, you might still be working with. So don't burn bridges, be someone that people want to work with a second time and really just you know, put the passion first because, you know, you're, we're lucky if we're able to get any work in this industry. It's a really special industry to work in. Um, I, I made a point that I, uh, in my career to put the, put the love of filmmaking first. And, you know, that has really helped um, because when you team up with someone else who has the similar ideas, it's, it's obvious and you bond. So that would be one of my biggest things is, is, is just maintain and build your network and be someone people want to work with. Finally, where can my listeners find and connect with you? Through my website, uh, ryanliebert.com would be kind of the direct place to contact me through. Um, and then also on IMDb, uh, my contact is there. Uh, I'm self-represented, so please feel free to reach out to me directly. I'm super prompt if uh, you're interested in working with me. And uh, I've got plenty of references and whatnot, you know. Uh, so yeah, I would say through my website, ryanliebert.com. All right. Thank you very much, Ryan. That's all for today. Don't forget you can subscribe to Kino Society on iTunes and Spotify. Thank you.